And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It's, of course, the second best day of the week, and that's Thursday because we get ready for Friday right around the corner. And, of course, uh, a lot of things happening yesterday and, and really, and we'll kind of pick up on today, of course, uh, um, Hurricane is now kind of uh, impacted Florida, lots of flooding there, now downgraded to a, to a tropical storm. So that kind of uh, initial impact has passed. And again, two million people without power right now. So, you know, these hurricanes are always a very bad thing and uh, they cause a lot of damage. And then we kind of get through this and, and, and go forward. But, you know, one of the interesting byproducts of hurricanes is always that it, it generates some economic activity. Um, it's not a good thing, right? That's not a great way to, to generate economic activity. Um, but we've seen this repeatedly throughout history that when you know, we have these hurricane impacts, particularly big ones that cause a, a lot of damage uh, in areas, you tend to get a pickup in economic activity because you have to rebuild everything, right? So you know, this is the broken window fallacy um, that we talk about quite often. The, the broken window theory is, is that a window gets broken, then you know, the person whose window is broken, he's got to go you know, buy glass from the glazier. The, the glazier's got to buy the components in the economy to replace the window. Well, that's not creating new activity, right? We're just replacing broken things. And, and yes, it will create an economic uptick as we spend money to rebuild what has been destroyed, but that's not creating new economic activity in the economy. So it's not sustainable. The reason I bring this up and it's, it's kind of an important point is this is also the problem that we have right now with inflation because of the monetary stimulus that we inject into the economy a couple of years ago. That's still kind of running through the system. And that's why we've got these high levels of inflation because we shut down the economic activity, right? So we had the supply chain disruption. We shut down companies. People couldn't produce anything. But that's now all going to and, and is in the process of reversing um, at a time where the central banks are rapidly increasing interest rates to fight this very temporary monster in the economy. And, and of course, yesterday, one of the big impacts of this was is that the Bank of England, just like the Federal Reserve in the United States, has been aggressively hiking rates and, and doing quantitative tightening in order to combat their inflationary pressures. And as we've said before, it's all fine and dandy until you break something. <laughs> and what the Bank of England found out yesterday is they reached that point in terms of their rate hikes that it impacted their financial markets. Their pension, their pension funds in the UK uh, had a lot of what's called a margin call. Uh, they borrow collateral um, uh, over time. And then when rates rise to a certain point, they've got to refund that collateral. Well, the rates were rising too fast and it was causing a financial disruption for these pension funds. Also, 24% of the UK real estate is on variable rate mortgages. Of course, rising interest rates increases those payments and there was a risk of a quote unquote subprime crisis of these, uh, of these variable rate mortgages getting reset higher and basically getting them to the point that uh, homeowners couldn't afford to pay the bills. So, so yesterday, the Bank of England very quickly reversed course, went back to QT, <clears throat> sorry, back to QE to, to start buying bonds out of the markets to try to stabilize the market environment. 
This is something that we've talked about previously. Look, all of these very temporary things that we do to the economy, again, going back to the, the hurricane analysis, right? The hurricane comes in, we create a lot of destruction, we rebuild everything. It's fine, it creates an illusion of economic growth. It creates a short-term impulse into the economy. And that's what we did with all of these fiscal stimulus policies uh, and monetary policies that we did back in 2020, 2021. It created this artificial illusion of growth in the economy. That's now all being reversed. Today, we will get the third revision to the second quarter's GDP. Say that three times fast. <laughs> so uh, what is expected to show is that basically the economy shrank by about six-tenths of a percent in the second quarter. Now, remember, the first quarter was also negative by over a percentage point. But this is following very strong rates of economic growth in 2021. Right, So this is that reversion, and we, we've talked about this before on the show, calling it a sugar rush effect. You know, we gave the economy a lot of sugar, now it's crashing because that sugar's now been removed out of the system. And so one thing to think about here, and this is the, the net knockoff effects that we're getting, um, part of this reversal in the market is the realization that earnings can't maintain, and I should say specifically corporate profits, can't maintain those record high levels that we had before. So prices are having to recalibrate for lower earnings estimates going forward. And, and we're seeing those estimates come down rather sharply. The other side of this, of course, as we've talked about recently, is interest rates. Interest rates are, uh, the Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates and that's been impacting the bond market. Now, the bond market is in the largest drawdown in terms of prices. Uh, since the late 1700s. It's, it's, it's in one of the biggest bear markets ever in history. And of course, you know, it's always interesting. This is, uh, you, we kind of get to this point to where asset prices are really beaten down. Things are really in a, in a very terrible bear market. The, the S&P is down this year, but it's not nearly down as, as a structure like bonds are. Bonds are in a very, very deep financial crisis type 2008 Lehman moment bear market. And of course, nobody wants to buy bonds. And so one, so what we're going to talk about today, Michael Leibowitz is joining me. We're going to go through the basics of bonds and what's going on in the bond market and why this is probably going to be one of the best bond buying opportunities for investors over the course of the next 10 years because you have a combination of events where for the first time in a very long time, there is an alternative to stocks, right? Uh, we talked about for the last several years, the Tina effect of the markets. There is no alternative to stocks. You had to put money in stocks because money markets paid zero. That is now no longer the effect, right? Annuities are now for the first time in many years paying a high enough payout that it makes sense to even consider an annuity if you need a guaranteed payment income stream through retirement. These are alternatives that are now becoming available because of what's happened in this bond market route. But again, as investors, and I just did a podcast yesterday for a, a, a millennial network and talking about bonds because again, most people never understood bonds. They've never been taught how bonds work. And all they've heard about is, is like, oh my gosh, interest rates are up, bonds are down, interest rates are gonna go to the moon. I don't wanna own bonds. But actually, in an inflationary environment or a deflationary environment, bonds can be one of your best choices for hedging risk and creating return. 
But again, it's just things that we aren't told. So we're going to go through this today with Michael Leibowitz. We're going to start from a very basic analysis, what types of bonds are out there, what type of, of considerations to think about, what's going on with interest rates now, what happens with interest rates next, what happens with the markets and the economy over the course of the next 12 months to 24 months, and what does that mean for bond yields, and why potentially... As I said, this is going to be one of the best bond buying opportunities available in the markets. Now, we're going to create this also as a, as a side podcast after the show today. Uh, we'll have it posted on our website. So if you want to go back and review the conversation, you'll be able to do that. It'll be on the website at realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, again, our latest blog posts are out there as well. Daily market commentary is out this morning. Also, it's all there for you, realinvestmentadvice.com. If you have questions or comments, just send us an email. Always happy to help you out. Be right back after the break. We'll pick up on All About Bonds with Michael Leibowitz. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats. From Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. When investing, we always have lots of choices about things that we can invest in. And, and unfortunately, the mainstream media kind of only focuses on one thing, right? Stocks. Right. It's, it's the, the only investment class that we talk about because it's the sexy. It's the sexy class, right? It's always exciting. Markets move up and down, and people are winning and losing fortunes on a daily basis. And so it makes for great headlines, but there's a lot of asset classes out there to invest in. And a good portfolio is one that you know has a diversification of assets uh, across the board that allows for better risk mitigation. There's a you know, one of the problems that's been created by a, more than a decade of Federal Reserve interventions in terms of the markets has been this loss of the ability for people to understand how to manage risk. Stocks just have simply just gone up for 10 years. Why do I need to manage risk as long as the Fed is, is liquefying markets? And so this has led investors to really kind of forget about other asset classes that provide an ability to diversify risk in a portfolio and create returns. And one of the, the asset classes that is most misunderstood um, and really, in a lot of cases, just you know, not real um, educated about are bonds. And there's a lot of different types of bonds out there. And just like in the stock market, there's a lot of different types of stocks to invest in. You've got growth stocks, you've got value stocks, you've got preferred stocks. Well, in the bond market, it's the same thing, right? You have a, a variety of different bonds, 
that you can invest in. And they have a different place um, in a portfolio. Um, each, each type of bond has a different place in your portfolio, and they have different reasons for owning them at different times. There are times where I may want to own one type of bond, but not another. And so what we're going to do today is, is just really go through kind of a basic education um, about what types of bonds are out there, um, how bonds work, and then the, the real focus of the conversation is why now? Why would we want to own bonds now, particularly as inflation is high and interest rates are going up? Why would I want to own bonds now? And what does that mean for the bond market in the future? And, and what can I expect from that in my portfolio going forward? So Michael Leibowitz, welcome to the show this morning. He's our resident bond expert. He used to work yeah. for Fannie Mae back in the day um, before they went bankrupt. Um, <laughs> wasn't my fault. <laughs> So let's let's start out very basic here, Mike. Um, just because so many people don't understand, you know, what a bond is and, and how a bond works. So let's just start there. So let's just let's take a very basic, simple example: a ten-year okay. Treasury bond, and then we'll, we can talk about corporates and others. But how does a bond work, and what does that mean for somebody that buys a bond? Let's make it even simpler. What is a bond? Lance comes to me and wants to borrow a hundred dollars. I say, okay. I'll lend you $100 and you're going to pay me $105 a year from now. That we shake hands. That shaking of the hands is a bond. Now, we could do the same thing with IBM or Uncle Sam or anyone else. But instead of shaking hands, we exchange a legal document. That's the bond. So the bond is a shaking of the hands, a legal document. And when let's think about this bond shaking of the hand bonds that Lance and I are, this money lending that we're doing. I'm gonna give him $100 today. He's gonna to give me $105 a year from now. That means that the coupon is 5%, means I'm gonna earn 5%. It also means in this case, the yield is 5%. And that works for US treasuries, for corporate bonds, slightly different for mortgage-backed securities. But any type of loan, whether it's to the British government, Uncle Sam, a very small company, uh, the, the biggest of companies, Apple, they're all bonds. And what makes a bond unique versus a loan with Lance is it's tradable. So if we, let's say instead of Lance, we bought a bond and that bond pays 5% interest for one year. And instead of paying at maturity, so instead of paying Lance 105, or instead of Lance paying me 105, I'm gonna lend the money 100 bucks today, and I'm gonna get half of the coupon in six months, so I'll get a check for $2.50, and then at maturity, I'll get the other $2.50 plus my $100 back. So I have a bond, and I lent it to the US government. I lent money to the US government. Now, all of a sudden, Let's say that interest, so currently one-year interest rates are 5%, that's the going rate. All of a sudden, interest rates go to zero. The, the, the same day I bought the bond, interest rates go from 5% to zero. And I have this piece of paper that says the U.S. government owes me $2.50 in six months, $2.50 a year from now, and 100 bucks a year from now. Well, someone else may say, Mike, I'll buy that. Uh, that's a great deal. You're earning 5%. If I buy that same bond, I would I would give them 100 today and I'd get back 100 tomorrow. 
So they may say, would you be willing to give me that bond and I'll give you $105 today? And, you know, you can do the math, but the gist of it is if I sell them that bond and those bonds are tradable, I will have lent $100 and I'll get $105 back today, assuming I sold it for $105. Now, the person that bought the bond from me paid 105. So essentially, they lent the money to the government at 105. They're going to get their two checks for $2.50, and then they'll get $100 back. So when you work through the math, they're, they're lending 105, and they're getting 100 back. So they're losing $5, but then they get two checks for $2.50. So the yield is zero in that case. And that's so there's two components when you're buying a bond, there's two components to it. There's the coupon, the two dollars and 50 cents that we're getting twice. And then there's the yield. And that's the way that's that's what's constantly changing. And the coupons never change. It's the prices that change to reflect so that those coupons equal the yield, essentially. So this is a so, you know, and again, this this gets confusing very quickly because you're it's basically math. Um, but the important thing is, is that, you know, when you're buying a bond, you, you know, the coupon is one thing. And, and we do see this quite often. People will look at a bond like, oh, I bought this bond the other day. It has a 6% coupon on it. And, you know, well, what did you pay for it? Well, I paid $106 for it. It's like, okay, well, your yield is zero. And they're like, what? I don't understand that. <laughs> um, you know, but, but this, this has a, a big impact ultimately on, you know, when we're taking a look at bonds and how this fits into a portfolio, and particularly now, I think this has really gotten a lot more attention lately than before. When interest rates are zero, nobody was really paying much attention to, to bonds. All of a sudden, as interest rates are going up 4%, 5%, 6%, whatever, um, all of a sudden it makes a big impact because as interest rates go up, it has a big impact on the economy because of all the debt within the economy, right? Mortgage debt, corporate bond debt, personal debt, housing debt, treasury debt. Um, all of a sudden, people are, are, are starting to recognize that higher interest rates mean higher payments, but they don't really understand how this is impacting the bond market. And as I was mentioning, and, and if we take a look at the bond market, and, and again, you know, it's always interesting when we talk about the stock market, we talk about these big bear markets, right? So 2008, Stocks were down 50%. And, and if you look back and say, man, if I was, you know, if I could go back in time, I'd just buy all the stocks I could right there at, you know, November, December of 2008. I'd just load up on stocks. But at the time, nobody wanted to buy stocks, right? Because we're in a major bear market. Everybody assumes that uh, stock prices are going to go to zero effectively. And so nobody wants to own stocks at the bottom of the market. Interestingly enough, the bond market this year, has had one of the biggest bear markets since the late 1700s. And nobody wants to buy bonds because of this big drawdown in price. But what's happened with bonds, and this is a, there's a huge difference between stocks and bonds. And this is one of the most important takeaways of our conversation this morning. If I buy a bond, at maturity, I get my money back plus my interest payment, regardless of what happens with the price in between today and the, and the date it matures. If stocks go to zero, stocks are at zero, right? You get that, they don't come back. And, you know, the big difference between stocks and bonds is that return of principal function at maturity. 
And so interest rates have been going up. People are owning bonds. They're going, oh, my gosh, I'm losing all this money in my bonds. But they forget about the fact that unlike a stock, a bond repays its full principal value at maturity, assuming it's not a corporate bond and the company went bankrupt, right? And so, you know, it's, it's important to make sure that you have good credit quality in your bonds. Um, that's a different conversation. But, you know, the, the important thing to take away from the conversation this morning is the big difference between stocks and bonds. Stocks do not have a guarantee of repayment in the future. Bonds do. Mike, your comments? I would add one thing to that. What are yields? Yields are the price of money. Money drives the economy. What is the price of a stock? It's the price of an asset. The price of Apple or IBM or Microsoft doesn't drive the economy. It doesn't really affect the economy. If Apple's trading at 100 or 200 or 400, the economy doesn't really change. If the price of money changes from 1% to 3% to 5%, it has a massive effect on the economy, on, on global affairs. So, so you're dealing with two different animals and the price of money is probably one of the most important things in a free in capitalism. And that's why we're paying very close attention to the price of money or bond yields. Yep. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is a, you know, the, the, we just don't have the time in a week's worth of radio shows to cover everything you need to know about bonds. But what we're hoping here is just a brief primer on, on how bonds work so that the next part of our conversation here will be on why bonds are likely to outperform stocks by a fairly large degree over the course of the next 12 to 24 months. And we'll explain that why when we come back from the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com if your portfolio looks more like a horror show you won't want to miss our next candid coffee on dealing with bloody markets no tricks just treats from richard rosso and danny ratliff with some not so spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash don't be spooked by markets or danny's bathroom on our next candid coffee saturday october 1st register now at realinvestmentadvice.com candid coffee with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show so investing in bonds why would you want to do that i was asked a question recently on a podcast that if i had a choice of one investment i could only buy one thing right for both inflation and deflation, what would that asset be? And I said, simple, I'd buy treasury bonds. And they kind of looked at me funny and they said, why would you buy bonds in an inflationary environment? I said, well, because during an inflationary environment, interest rates are going up. 
So I buy short-duration treasuries. I buy three-month, six-month treasuries as interest rates go up. And as, my, and as those bonds mature, I can just keep laddering up my bonds until I keep getting a higher and higher interest rate. So my interest income is continually growing in an environment. And, of course, in a high inflationary environment, stocks aren't doing well, right? So from an asset protection standpoint... You know, I, I can continue to grow my money. And as we said before, with bonds, the great thing about bonds is that in three months or at six months, um, those treasuries mature. I get all my money back and I can invest again. Now, during that process, as Mike was talking about uh, previously, is that as interest rates are going up, the price of that bond is going down. So it looks like I'm losing money on my bonds as interest rates are going up. But again, the difference between stocks and bonds is that at three months or six months maturities, when those bonds mature, I get all my money back, regardless of what the price was, even just the day before maturity. So that's why I would own bonds in an inflationary environment. Now, why would I own bonds in a deflationary environment? Because, well, once interest rates get to a peak that something breaks in the market, I now have a high interest rate on that bond. And so I now want to move out to longer bonds, I want to buy a 10-year treasury because now I get a very high yield on that bond, right? And prices are very discounted. And most likely at this point, we're in the midst of a, a bear market in the, and a recession in the economy. And this is where, you know, I want to lock in the, the most protection I can get. So in a deflationary environment, yields start to come down because there's a very high correlation historically between inflation, economic growth, and interest rates. And this makes completely logical sense because as we talked about in the last segment, Mike and I are exchanging, we're creating a bond between us. He's going to loan me money and he's going to loan me money for a certain interest rate. Well, what we didn't talk about was what does that interest rate encapsulate? How, what does that interest rate mean? So if Mike and I agree to, uh, to a loan and I borrow money from Mike at, a, you know, I borrow $100 from Mike and he says, okay, I want 5%. Well, where did he come up with that 5%? Well, that, has to, that, that yield has to cover a whole lot of aspects of the economy. And as a bond investor, and, and I will let Mike explain this to you a little bit more, as a bond issuer, right, or as a lender, or, you know, if you go to the bank and the bank loans you money, that interest rate is fixed for a period of time. So that interest rate has to cover a lot of different aspects of the economy. You know, so, Mike, when, when you know, uh, a bank is loaning me money for 30 years for a mortgage or 10 years for, you know, something else or seven years for an auto loan, the bank's got to take into a lot of accounts about what they expect out of the economy, what is going on in the world because they don't get to change that rate midstream, right? I mean, they're they're right. locked into this this coupon. And so this coupon has to reflect a lot of different aspects of the economy, right? Right. So let's unpack that one-year loan that I made to you at 5%. Right. How did I come up with 5%? Well, the first thing I'm going to think about are what are the odds that Lance doesn't pay me back? And in theory, I probably should have charged you 50% because it's a 50-50 proposition here. But let's say I think those odds, the 3% odds that Lance, Lance won't make good on the money. So right off the bat, I'm going to charge 3%. Now I say, okay, I can, I, I've taken a risk out of it. Now the question is, I can keep the money and buy something today, 
or I can lend it to lands and buy something a year from now. So what's the rate of inflation going to be? I want to make sure that I'm made whole, that if whatever I want to, let's say we have 3% inflation over the period, if I want to buy, you know, the, the new, uh, the newest, uh, pick something, Lance, the newest video game for $100, mm -hmm. and there's going to be 3% inflation, it's going to be $103 a year from now. So a year from now, I want 105 or 106 or whatever it is. I want to be compensated for taking risk by giving Lance money, and then I want to be compensated for inflation. Now, inflation, you know, if we assume Lance is risk-free, so let's assume Lance is now Uncle Lance or Uncle Sam. Mm -hmm. So in theory, there's no risk with lending to the U.S. government. They can always print money. So we can take that risk premium out. Now it's just a function of inflation. Am I compensated properly for inflation? And that's where the economy comes in. The stronger the economy, the more inflation you tend to get, the weaker the economy, the less inflation you get. And this is where the Fed comes in and the fiscal gov the fiscal side of the government. The more spending, the more QE, the, the, the lower rates are, the more inflation you tend to get and vice versa. And, so where are we now? Go ahead. Right, that, this makes the case for bonds today. Right now, What's really interesting is that inflation expectations, and this isn't what I expect or what Lance expects or what, what Jerome Powell expects. This is what the markets expect. Markets, this isn't polling people. This is based on where certain bonds trade, such as TIPS, inflation-protected bonds. And from that, you can deduce what the inflation expectation is. Now, what's fascinating is inflation expectations have been falling throughout the year. Inflation has been started to fall. It's not, I wouldn't, it, it's not doing what inflation expectations are doing, but they've been falling throughout the year. And again, we're looking at five and 10 year periods, not what it's going to do over the next three months, right? Because we're going to lend money for lands for five years. I want to know what inflation is going to be for the full five years. <laughs> Those inflation expectations have been falling. The economy is weakening. We know we had negative growth in the first two quarters. And what really scares me is that the effects of all those rate hikes and all the, the interest rates going up take a long time to affect the economy. We really haven't seen that. The hurricane is still offshore. You know, we're getting battered, we're getting winds, we're getting rain, but the eye of the hurricane hasn't even hit. Those big rate increases are only three or four months old. Mm -hmm. So so the economy will weaken. That That's pretty much baked into the pie right now. As the economy weakens, inflation will come down probably even more so than was expected. So so we're dealing in an environment where where you can then figure out what we call the real yield. Now, I, I know I'm bringing up a little jargon here, but what real yield is, is the yield that I expect to return after inflation. So if I lend Lance a dollar for a year and inflation is 2%, Lance pays me 3%, my real expected yield is 1%. He's going to pay me 103. I can go buy whatever I was going to buy for 100 for 102, and I'm going to make a dollar. And I'm being incentivized to lend money. I'm being rewarded, and that's the way it should work. Again, Lance doesn't have any risk that I have to compensate for. So right now, real yields are the highest they've been in 15 year, years. 
the real yield on the five-year treasury on a five-year bond, five-year U.S. treasury bond is about 1.6%. For the better part of the last 10 years, that has been negative. So if you buy a five-year bond and inflation expectations perfectly match inflation, which they won't, but if they do, you're going to earn an additional 1.6%. And going back through history, that's a very high real yield, but that's also one reason why it's going to have a very negative effect on the economy. Because again, the price of money is trading at that kind of premium to the rate of inflation. So real quick where we are right now, and we're about to come up on a break, and so we'll pick up on this conversation on the other side. And, and, and as we talked about a second ago, I was asked, uh, you know, again, you know, if I could buy something in, in an inflationary environment or a deflationary environment, I can only buy one asset. Why would it be bonds? When we come back from the break, um, I want to talk about another question I just got recently, which is, you know, at what point do you buy stocks? And this is an important question as it relates to owning bonds and why you should be looking at buying long-dated treasuries, well, sooner rather than later, because of this potential hurricane effect that, and again, it's a terrible analogy with what's going on right now, you know, in Florida, but this hurricane effect on the economy, as Mike was talking about, these interest rates are coming up, but they haven't impacted the economy yet. So the eye of the storm is still coming in. And so that's going to have a big impact on a lot of the equity side of the ledger, which is why bonds become much more attractive, particularly when bond prices have declined so much this year. So when we come back from the break, you know, and it's, and it's going to be uh, an important discussion as it relates to portfolio management and risk management, because as, as is always the case, there are times to own certain assets. And psychologically, the problem for investors is that, you know, most times in history, when you have an opportunity to buy an asset that is undervalued or cheap relative to another asset, it's typically the time that psychologically investors don't want to own it because prices have come down, they're lo they feel like they're losing money. But again, there's a huge difference between owning bonds and owning stocks. And we'll talk about why now is probably one of your best opportunities in the last decade to buy bonds. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com if your portfolio looks more like a horror show you won't want to miss our next candid coffee on dealing with bloody markets no tricks just treats from richard rosso and danny ratliff with some not so spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash don't be spooked by markets or danny's bathroom on our next candid coffee saturday october 1st register now at real investment advice Com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
one of the aspects of fixed income bonds um, in terms of a portfolio structure is that it provides a lower risk or what we call a lower volatility asset to a portfolio. Um, but that doesn't mean that prices can't go up or down uh, in fixed income, just like they do in stocks. And again, the, the big difference between a stock and a bond and again, extracting the risk of bankruptcy out of the equation for just a moment, is that if a stock goes down and a, a company runs into financial trouble, um, a stock can go and has gone to zero. I mean, we can talk about Enron and WorldCom and a whole variety of other companies that have gone bankrupt over time. A bond particularly a treasury bond, which is what we call a risk-free bond because the government can print money to pay for it, doesn't go to zero. It may go down in price, but it will never go to zero, and it will mature at face value. The one beautiful thing about a bond that people forget is the day I buy a bond, the very moment that I buy a bond for a portfolio or, or Mike loans me $100, he can calculate to the penny exactly what his return will be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now. If I loaned money to Mike for 30 years, I can calculate to the penny exactly what my return will be over a 30-year period, assuming Mike pays off the, de the debt. Can't do that with an equity. If I buy an equity today, it's a, it's a complete guess as to what my return will be in the future. Could be great, could be terrible, but that's the way investing works. And so, while investors um, you know, talk a lot about buying stocks and wanting to invest in markets, one of the best investments you can have long term if you really want to truly build wealth is owning bonds. Now, it's not nearly as sexy, not nearly as fun, but you will never lose money investing in bonds, again, assuming you do it correctly. And that's the beautiful thing about bonds. Now, there's a, a, a reason. Now, one of the questions that is coming up a lot lately is what happens next, right? So here we are. We're in the middle of this bear market in stocks. And usually when you have a bear market in stocks, you also have a bear market in bonds. Uh, you have a bull market in bonds, right? Because money's moving from risk into safety. And that hasn't been the case this year because very differently to what we've seen here over the last decade or so for most investors that have been in the market is that we have inflation that we haven't had before. And inflation, as inflation goes up, yields go up. As yields go up or interest rates go up, bonds come down in price because they're the price of the bond is compensating for a higher interest rate environment, a higher yield environment, a higher inflation environment. But that also means that there's an opportunity coming because if you get into a deflationary environment, which would be caused by a recession, an economic crisis, or something like that, all of a sudden inflation is falling very sharply, yields come down, and when yields come down, bond prices go up. And so when you start looking at you know, asset classes, where do I want to be invested, particularly if a economic recession or something occurs in the United States in the next year or so. Well, that would dictate that I would want to own longer dated bonds in my portfolio. Why? Because today I buy the bond that has a very low price, has a high yield, so I can, I can put income into my portfolio immediately. And if inflation and interest rates come down, the further I'm out in terms of years to that maturity, the greater sensitivity 
price has to that falling inflation. So the price increase I will get in the bond as inflation comes down and as yields come down, the greater the move that I have in terms of the price of my bond increasing in value because of that. And so this provides an opportunity for investors to make a, to make a, a trade in the portfolio that gives you a greater return on money because what's happening to equities at this moment? If an, an economic hurricane hits and you have some type of financial event, a crisis event, or just a really bad recession, what's happening to equity prices? Right? Equity prices are having to come down. Why? Because earnings are coming down. Earnings expectations are coming down because of slower economic growth. So this provides an alternative in the portfolio to buy something now, but at some point, you know, that is also that trade will also be over and there'll be an opportunity to buy equities again. And, and Mike, this is something that we, you and I talk about a good bit is, is this next leg of the cycle. Um, as we move forward, Steve Drunkenmiller just came out today talking about a 2023 recession, something that we've been talking about here a good bit over the last couple of months. Um, you know, in that recessionary environment, stocks are going to have to reprice a good bit. Um, bond yields will, will come down. Prices will go up. But there's going to be some really great opportunities in fixed income and then in alternative fixed income classes as we go through that recessionary environment. Right. So, so why do we like bonds or prefer bonds over stocks at this point? Well, the Fed is essentially manufacturing a recession. I think some natural forces are also pushing towards recession too. But remember, we said that the Fed and all the rate hikes that they've done already take a long time to really be felt in the data. So there's a hur an economic hurricane coming ashore. It's going to be really hard for the for even for a soft landing as the Fed keeps trying to sell us on. The the more this goes on, the more the Fed stays aggressive, the harder the land the economic landing. So again, we're looking at a, a very poor economy, recession, maybe a deep recession. You know, we, we still have to wait and see. But the odds are growing every day that this economic hurricane is getting closer and closer. So what does that mean? Well, as the economy weakens, prices should go down. Inflation should drop. That makes the bonds, the yield on the bonds look better and better every day. Now, at the same time, corporate earnings, which are driven off of the economy, will become more and more problematic. It's going to be harder for companies to meet their earnings bogeys because the economy is slipping. Then you add some dollar strength to that, and that affects companies even more so. So, so we're looking at two asset classes, one that benefits from a weaker economy, from lower inflation, and one that doesn't benefit, that hurt, gets hurt by a weaker economy and, and reduced inflation. And that's essentially the bet we're making. And, you know, you know, why do we always talk about the Fed? Because the Fed is the puppet master behind this whole thing. They're the ones raising rates. They're the ones refusing to to step aside now that we're seeing some economic pain now that we're seeing some liquidity issues in england in japan the fed is not backing down the fed is trying to get inflation down the only way to get it down is with a good old-fashioned recession they know that they're just telling the us that they're telling us they want thing. higher unemployment they're not mincing words at this point so what we're doing is what we've been talking about for years is we're following the Fed. 
we're we're doing what they're telling us they're going to do. And, you know, if, if you think that we're going into a recession, if you think inflation is going to come down in part because of the recession, in part because of just normalization of all the supply demand problems we've had over the last few years, bonds are a steal here. And at the same time, stocks are questionable because again, we're going into a recession. Their earnings estimates are gonna have to come down. Their earnings are probably gonna be lower than we expect. And that's, you know, regardless of whether you you think there's gonna be a recession or not, you, you have to play those odds. Where is everything going now? That could change in six months. The Fed could flip-flop tomorrow and our view could flip-flop tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But right now, everything is telling us there we're headed for a recession. We're headed for lower inflation. And if you're choosing between stocks and bonds, the winner is somewhat obvious. But again, the Fed can change stance quickly. And that's why we pay attention to every word out of their mouths and their rhetoric and their narratives. And and what they're trying to relay to the markets. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the the point about how the Fed could flip flop in a moment is important here because, um, you know, just very quickly, you know, uh, you know, we're we're mostly talking about buying individual bonds for a portfolio, but you could also buy a bond ETF to accomplish the same thing. When you're talking about trading, the problem with ETFs and bond mutual funds, which are okay to own for a trading purpose, they do not supply the return of principal function that an individual bond does. So there is a difference between bond funds and bond ETFs and individual bonds. Uh, we're talking specifically about owning individual bonds here. But for a trading purpose, we're also talking about buying bond ETFs here as well. So we, you know, when we're looking at adding exposure to a portfolio, um, because yields are extremely oversold here and bond prices are very oversold. And if we're looking for a trade or a hedge in the portfolio, a bond ETF will work just fine for this. And so we'll be looking to, to add to our TLT position here over the next few months. But importantly here, if the Fed flip-flops, okay, that means that something has now broken in the economy. They're not going to start dropping rates and doing QE if everything is just fine like it is now, right? They're going to keep raising rates and combat and, and reducing their balance sheet. So when they begin the flip-flop, immediately what will happen is that money will start to flow into Treasury bonds for safety because something has now broken in the market and there will be a, 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 re, a reversal in Fed policy to try to combat that problem. Go look back at March of 2020 as a good example. The Fed started implementing all types of, of policy action and markets were still falling while they were initially uh, doing these actions. And then finally, they gained traction in late March as QE really started to take effect. So stocks will be coming down as the Fed flip-flops on policy. But then when interest rates start to get back to zero in the Fed funds rate, that's where you'll sell your bonds, take the capital appreciation out of your bonds because interest rates can't go below zero. And then that's where you start looking to buy distressed assets, broken equities, convertibles, preferred stocks, those type of things. Because as you're coming out of the bear market, you'll want to own equities over bonds. So, again, it's all part of the portfolio management process and risk management as well. That wraps up the show for the day. I wish we had more time to go in much deeper into this. Mike and I, we may have to do just a standalone podcast just for this whole topic to go through all the various stuff. It'll be a long one, though. Uh, in the meantime, get by the website. Our latest newsletter is out. Mike's blog post up on the website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. Three minutes on markets and money coming up next. Have a great day.